man. Just real quick before we get into Ephesians chapter 3, I want you to know it's broken up into two parts. Uh, The first part, Paul is reminding us of the mystery that's been revealed and uh, a mystery for which he's presenting to the Gentiles and a mystery for which he is suffering for. We're going to be talking about Paul's suffering uh, in this first section, uh, but also the grace that God gives Paul. And then Paul has a final prayer for uh, us believers that follows kind of four stair steps, four big ideas in that prayer that we're going to be unpacking. So uh, without further ado, chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason. Now again, I want to remind you of everything that Paul has said through the power of God's Spirit so far in Ephesians. Right? And again, Paul wants us to grow in our wisdom and understanding. And so he's told us about God, who he is, and what he's done. The first thing he told us is God is our Father. Maybe you didn't have a, a dad that stuck around for you in this life, but I want you to know this morning, you have a Father, and he loves you. How do we know uh, he loves you? Because in eternity past, before he created anything, before the foundations of the world was laid, he chose you, he predetermined a destiny for you, and he adopted you as his sons and daughters. He made you part of his family. Because he did that in eternity past, we now have two big things. Redemption through the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of our trespasses. How do we know we possess this? Through our faith in Christ Jesus. Our faith that Jesus was God who lived the perfect life that we have not and died in our place for our sins is the mark of God, his seal upon us. Our faith is that seal. If you believe in Jesus, that uh, he died for you and gives you redemption and forgiveness of sins, you are saved. You are a Christian. And then Paul prays uh, for us that we would grow in wisdom and understanding in three primary places. Number one, the hope that we have in Christ. I hope that's happened as you've been sitting in these sermons. I hope that just as your faith in what God has done has produced a hope in what God is going to do in your future. God has plans and purposes for his people and you are part of his people. You are saints in Christ Jesus, amen? And we have a hope. And it's not just a a hope of his second coming, although that is the greatest hope that we have. There's also hope for tomorrow, amen, in Christ Jesus. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your prodigal children, right? There's hope in Christ for what God is going to do in the future. But also, Paul wants us to grow not only in hope, but in the love that God has for us. And he wants us to grow in our understanding of his power and of his might through which he saved us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is all about how God, we didn't build half a bridge to come to him. He built the entire bridge and came all the way to where we were and saved us from our sin. Now as we move into, of course, and then finally in the end of chapter 2, Paul reveals this mystery of what God has done in Christ Jesus on our behalf. He doesn't just save us so that we're saved. He forms us into one new 
man. Not just you singularly, but us together, plural. We are a new humanity in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter where you come from, what languages you speak, what color your skin is, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, uh, male, female. We are all together now, the new humanity, representing God as his visible temple in this world where his spirit dwells. The church is the new humanity created in Christ Jesus for this reason. Chapter 3, verse 1. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I want you to see the bookends of this. Turn with me to verse 13 quickly where he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul begins a prisoner from Christ, and he ends with his suffering. So today I want, to, I want us to unpack this just a little bit because you probably grew up like I did, or you probably have heard the lie from religious broadcasting that if you are a Christian, nothing bad is ever supposed to happen to you. Right? And we laugh because we know better. I was told by well-meaning people, right? You want people to love Jesus, so you try to trick them sometimes. I was told by sweet Sunday school teachers and, and, and you, know, you know, family members that if you'll just give your life to God, God's will for your life is the safest place you'll ever be. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Being in God's will is often the most uncomfortable and dangerous place that you will ever be. God loves to take us out of the comfort zones that we create for ourselves. He loves to put us in those. I mean, look at me. I'm an introvert. And you're all looking at me right now, which makes me incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> I want to be back there in the dark corner. Is that spanky back there? I want to be back where Spanky is in that corner, just hanging out. Nobody's looking at me. Everybody look at Spanky. He's the red shirt. That's where I want to be, man. God loves these cute little pretty lives we try to create for ourselves. God loves to disrupt and to disturb. I mean, ask Job. Satan shows up and is like, I don't have anything to do. And God goes, hey, you see Job down there? He's one of mine. See, see what happens. All right, this is what God does. And Paul so right? So every time you that preacher comes on and says, if you just have faith, you wouldn't be sick. And if you just had faith, your family wouldn't be there. Right, that is hogwash. In this life, you will find trouble. Jesus said that. But he also said, take heart. I have overcome the world. We have hope in him, even in our darkest times. And what I love about Paul, I am spilling water everywhere. <laughs> My new Bible. Man. What I love about Paul is Paul, do you know that Christian who's just Eeyore? <laughs> I lost my tail again. Just, Paul is not Eeyore. Paul doesn't have pity parties for himself. 
And look what's awesome about Paul. Paul doesn't say, I am a prisoner of Rome. Paul doesn't say, I am a prisoner of Nero, which he was. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to know about suffering in this world. Because you know what would be unfair? God would be mean if he just caused us to suffer. But if suffering has a reason, if suffering has a purpose in our lives, well, God's not mean, and he's not unfair, and he's not unjust. He uses suffering in this world to grow us, to preserve us, to build us up, and to proclaim his glory in the world. If suffering has a purpose, then like Paul, we don't have to, to, to fall into the depths of, of pity parties for ourselves. We know that God, it's God who works all things out according to his good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose amen paul's not having a pity party he he, he knows he's not in prison because oh, the devil got the best of him or because people were against him no he knows he's there by the sovereign will of god and that god has a purpose for his imprisonment man that's a whole different way to look at the world isn't it that's why john piper wrote that book don't waste your cancer Right? That's a good book. Don't waste the, 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 the bumps in the road and the hardships that God puts you in in your life. Say, God, I know there is purpose and reason for this. Why do you have me here? So I can make much of you. This is what Paul does, and he's a good example for all Christian brethren today. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Right, One, two things we're going to find out in this section. Paul's suffering, there's two reasons for it. Number one, it's sacrificial. It's for other Christians. But it's also, number two, it's missional. Right, Paul wants to turn the light on in the dark room of this world so that people can see this mystery now revealed in Jesus Christ that we are his new people. Verse 2, it's a pretty good introduction to a sermon, isn't it? <laughs> we got a lot of reading to do. Number two, verse two. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. We've already talked about this a little bit in Ephesians. But one thing I love about Paul is he is not full of himself. He doesn't have this self-righteous outlook. Everything that God is doing in him and through him, he knows is a gift from God. It's God's grace to him. Uh, and he also uh, says that this mystery, right, this gospel message that he brings, who God is and what God has done, is not something that he made up. It was given to him by revelation. God revealed these things to Paul. Remember, uh, Paul used to be called Saul, and he was a, 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 an angry worker against the church until he met resurrected Jesus, and it changed the course of his life forever. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ 
which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now listen here, what we uh, talked about last week, I mean, there are things written in the Abrahamic covenant, right? People should have seen that God had a plan not just for Israel, but for all nations. Abram was going to be the father of a multitude of nations, we read in Genesis chapter 17. And all throughout, man, you've got, uh, you know, the, the, the female spy. And you've got this crimson thread throughout the Old Testament of God working in and amongst the Gentile peoples. But this mystery of this new humanity in Christ... No more national Israel, but the church made up of both Jew and Gentile. This is the mystery he's talking about. No more physical temple in Jerusalem, but a spiritual temple where God's spirit dwells through his people, his church. Right? This was hidden in ages past, but now Christ has come, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ was buried, and he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave by resurrecting from the dead. And now the church is no longer just a mystery. It is the revealed will, plan, and wisdom of God as we're going to read about in a moment. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am very least of all the saints. Now, underline that word least. And let me just encourage you this morning. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says of his apostleship, of the title he was given by Jesus, one who was sent to proclaim the gospel is what apostle means. He said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm like one untimely born, he said. But here, he's talking about being the least among the saints. Who are the saints? You and me in Christ Jesus. We're saints. Paul calls himself the least. Now, in English, we don't even have a word for what Paul is trying to get at because there really is no word. What Paul says here doesn't even make sense. The word is, should actually be translated leaster. What Paul means is you go to the very bottom, the very last one, and I'm below that, right? The least of the least, the last of the less. He's the leasterist. <laughs> and this is Paul. I mean, this is a guy that we look up to. This is a guy whom God used mighty. This is a guy who had been called up into the third heaven and given revelation from God on what to preach to the church of Jesus Christ. This is a guy who traveled more, planted more churches, made more disciples, wrote more books of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is a guy who has done more than any of us and all of us put together. And he says, I am the leasterest. That's a Tigger word. A lot of Winnie the Pooh today. Right? How can you have your chest out and hold your head up a little higher? It's not in your own strength, just like it wasn't in Paul's own strength. I mean, he was more educated than anyone else. He has all this going for him. But he knows that everything God does is a gift of grace. To him, 
He can do nothing apart from the power of God's spirit at work and the grace poured out upon him by God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the spirit. And guess what? Neither can we. All good that we do, all the ways that God uses us as his people in this world, just like for Paul, it is God's grace to us. No one has any right to boast unless they boast in the name of the Lord, whose riches of grace have been poured out upon us. To me, though, I am very least of all the saints. This grace was given so that I could preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I've said this last week, and I say it again because Paul keeps using this word. You will never exhaust the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God, the love of God, which he lavishes upon you. I know you're sitting there thinking, ah, Brent, you just don't know me very well. And I would say to you, you don't know me very well either. All right? Because here's the truth and the reality, and some of you are going to get offended by this, but it's true whether you like it or don't like it. You are a turd. <laughs> and I am a turd. We are all equally turds. But it is God who is rich in mercy, who has loved us, poured grace out upon us, saved us, snatched us from the fires of hell. And all the good that we do is only by his grace. We can do nothing apart from him. This is what Jesus says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you shall bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Every kid you feed through Compassion International or, 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 or some other uh, thing, every uh, naked person you clothe, every person you visit in prison, every sermon you proclaim, every time you share the gospel with somebody at Starbucks, there is nothing we can do apart from the grace of God upon us. If it's true for Paul, it's true for us, amen? So what's the good news in that? God does want to use you. And his grace is unquenchable. It's immeasurable. It is unsearchable. Right? And he pours his grace out upon us because we are the saints, his church, the, the, the visible reality of Christ in this world, filled by his spirit. You say, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. I'm too old. I'm too sick. I'm too young. Right? You don't understand the grace of God. If God can use Paul, if God can use a donkey back in the Old Testament, you got more going for you than a donkey, amen? Right? And, and why do I, why am I hammering down here? Because when you sell yourself short as his son or his daughter, you sell your God short. God is sovereign, amen? God has a plan and a purpose, amen? 
You believe in Jesus, so God's done something in your heart. He's pulled you to himself. If he can use Paul, he can use you. There are people in this world, lost, dying, fatherless, widowed. Right? They need the light. Paul says, God has given me this grace to proclaim and to bring to light Paul, in this dark world we live in, he wants to flip the light switch so that people can see the light. They can see Jesus to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that, verse 10, so that through the church, who's the church? We are. Isaac right down here. He's Jew. Guess what? I'm a Gentile dog. But in Christ, God has brought us together. And we are now brothers. Right? Brothers, co-heirs with Christ. This is the mystery now revealed so that through the church, he and I together, you and I together... Male, female, doesn't matter who you are, you and I together, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the many colored sides of the wisdom of God might be made known, watch this, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How many of you have ever read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis? That's a great book, right? It just gives you insight into the devil who is a real being. Demons who are real beings. Why do you believe that, Brent? Because the Bible tells me they're real beings created by God. Think about this. Jesus Christ shows up on planet Earth 2,000 years ago. He's got 12 followers. Satan, probably not that scared. Jesus and 12 guys. And Satan works his plan out. He's going to kill the Messiah, right? He thinks he's winning. He doesn't know that God, the Father's going to raise him from the dead and blow everything up. Satan throws everything he's got at this fledgling little group who have uh, met resurrected Jesus. There's only about 120 of them. Satan throws everything he can at them. And in a world with multiple temples and multiple gods, this little Christian group begins to grow. And people think they're weird and crazy. They eat flesh. They drink blood. Well, that's communion. <laughs> the, the early, we've got letters from, I think it was, uh, was it Plutarch that wrote the letter? No, it was Pliny. Pliny wrote a letter going, what do we do with these Christians, these cannibals, right? They eat flesh, they drink blood, and when they come together, right? The world was freaked out by this weird group who's dunking people in rivers. Right? In the Roman world, right, the church should never have grown. Or just like our church, it should have never worked. It should have never worked. But after 100 years, man, there's churches in Ephesus and Corinth 
and Philippi and Thessalonica. Uh, there's churches in Lyconium, Iconium and Lystra, Derby. Right? There's churches. The church is just growing all over the Roman Empire. Four or five hundred years later, a Roman emperor gets saved, and Christianity becomes the religion of all the Roman Empire. There's a new capital, Constantinople, that's built in honor of Jesus Christ and of, of Christianity. And, and, and Satan keeps throwing everything he's got. Think about this. Satan has watched for 2,000 years. In spite of all his efforts, in spite of all the ways he's tried to destroy you, your family, and the church. And he's had to sit back in all of his efforts and watch the church just continue to grow and expand. I mean, the Christianity is on every continent. Christianity uh, is the largest faith system on planet Earth today. And it started with these 12 guys who met resurrected Jesus. It's grown. Paul says, through us. Think about it. Think about the, this world and its systems, everything that's against the church. There's, there's been days and there are days coming again where it will be against the law to proclaim the gospel. Satan has thrown everything he can. But through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, put on, put on display so that everybody can see that what God has planned and what God has willed is going to occur come hell or high water. You and I were a part of this thing that has never stopped growing, never stopped expanding. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is the saints in Christ Jesus that continue to love and reach and serve and preach. And the church continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And Satan's just sitting, wringing his hands going, I got nothing else to throw at it. The next time you think, and listen, right, spiritual beings, where well, we are lower than spiritual beings. And they do have power and influence and deception. At the same time, they cannot stop what your father has put in motion. And you are not here by chance. You are here as the result of what God has done in eternity past. Now, like my dad used to say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> because there is power. There is confidence. There is boldness. There is courage. In the heart of men and women who have been touched by Christ and who love him and who grow in our knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he's done. Even the demons know and can do nothing about the wisdom of God and the mystery being revealed in this world. That we weren't a people, but now we are a people. And that's good, that's good stuff. Verse 11, I promise we're going to get through this. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in Christ in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We should never be able to stand before God justified and made right as a son or a daughter. But in Christ Jesus, we boldly go to the throne of grace. We have access to the God of the universe. 
This is too good for us. But in Christ Jesus, this is what we've been given. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's our glory to serve, to sacrifice, to give, to to bleed, to sweat. Anything that God should give us to do by his grace. It is for our glory as his sons and daughters. As much as it's for his glory as the king of kings and lord of lords of all the universe who is making his wisdom known by putting us on display. Now Paul moves for this reason. He moves into the prayer he tried to start at the beginning of chapter 3, but got sidetracked. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now there is a lot of ways that people pray in the Bible. There is no one way to pray prescribed in the Bible. People stand and pray in the Bible. They sit and pray in the Bible. Sometimes they even lay down on their sides. They lay down on their faces in the Bible uh, when they pray. Here Paul is so overwhelmed by the grace of God that he's experienced in his life and that he is suffering for in the lives of, of Gentile believers. He's so overwhelmed by how good God has been. Even though he's in hardship, he just bows over. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, you've probably got, if you've got an ESV study Bible, there's probably some little notes there. Uh, Word-for-word translations have a hard time with the Greek here. You know, in Greek, there's hundreds of words. In English, there's millions of words. So sometimes word-for-word translations can be a little rigid. And actually, a version of the Bible that I don't like all that much, the NIV actually is more clear here in this interpretation. But basically what Paul is saying, our Father is the Father of all fathers. Right? He is the ultimate father, all life, all our families, right? All of life comes from him. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be. And here's the first of our stair steps in this prayer. Paul's praying for the believers in Ephesus. Hear his prayer, his heart. And may it be applied to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit today. The first thing, that you be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus Christ as Christians sits on the throne of our hearts and the more that we see him there the more that we honor him there the more that we know he's there the spirit in the depths of who we are is strengthening us with might you know how you're going to conquer sin more faith in Christ and dwelt in you the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you How are we going to be strengthened and empowered by understanding that Christ is not just up there or over there or out there, but he's in here. Do you believe that? Because it changes everything. Paul wants you to be strengthened. 
He wants you to understand the power that you possess that is not your own power. It is the gift of God, his grace to you, Christ in you. I know when we look in the mirror, it's hard to see, which is why you need to pray, God, give me more faith to see Christ in me. I love that parable where Jesus, the man comes up to Jesus and his daughter's sick and dying and, and he says, Lord, you know, if you can, will you help me? And, and Jesus basically asks him, do you believe that I can help you? And he says, yes, I believe. And then immediately he, he knows there's unbelief in his heart. So he says, I believe, Lord. Oh, but Lord, help my unbelief. Each and every one of you in here. You're a Christian, you love Jesus, you know Christ is in there, but you don't see him in there as much as you should see him in there. So have more, pray, Father, help my unbelief spirit, empower me to have more faith that Christ is here in my chest, in the depths of my soul, and who I am, because the bigger you see Christ in you, the greater impact you will have for the glory of God in your life. Second thing Paul prays for, verse 18, nope, sorry, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Now, we've been talking a lot about wisdom and understanding and growing and knowledge but what does Paul know better than anyone else being the educated man that he is? He knows that sometimes knowledge puffs up. We've never seen that, have we? And listen, there are, I'll just be honest with you, in my own life, I wrestle. Because, you know, we all have giftings. We're going to talk about giftings that God gives the church. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about prophet, priest, and king uh, kind of roles in the Old Testament, sometimes we use those things to kind of uh, personality profile ourselves. And, and I'm, I'm, in a New Testament perspective, I'm the prophet. What, what do prophets do? Prophets love truth. Prophets aren't known. I mean, read the Old Testament. Prophets aren't known for being gracious. <laughs> right? And I, I repent before you this morning. Believe it or not, I'm a turd too. There have been times I've sat across from people and cared more about being right than I cared about the person sitting there. So Paul says, hey man, I've been giving you all this knowledge and understanding. But you, and I want you to be strengthened because you need that knowledge and understanding. But I also want you to be rooted. This is why Paul's tagline is truth and grace. I want you to be rooted, he says, and grounded in love. This is uh, two metaphors. One is a, 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 a biological metaphor, and the other is an architectural metaphor. Right? When the storms of life blow, you need deep roots. Right? When the, when the storms of life come, you better have built your house upon the rock. Amen? So the house can withstand the storm. Our lives should be rooted and grounded in love. Love for one another. And as we'll see, understanding the love that Christ has for us as well. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 real quick. And I've only got 10 minutes, so we need to hurry. 
But the best definition we have of love is found in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And how many of you know those spiritual people? You know those people? <laughs> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if there are heavenly dialects, the angels communicate in, and you somehow learn that language and you can speak the language of angels. That's spiritual, right? But if you don't have love, you are nothing more than someone taking a gong and just beating it. How many of you like the gong show? You don't like it if they just continuously beat it. Once you can handle, brah, 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 that just drives everybody crazy. We drive God crazy in our spirituality when it is devoid of love. We're noise to him. Look at this next verse. I love this one. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, right, if you are a, Brent, I'm so, I've had somebody say this to me before, I'm just so deep. <laughs> Number one, anybody deep doesn't say that. But even if, man, you just understand every little string that God has pulled throughout the existence of eternity. If you're gonna, some of you in your small groups, Ephesians 1 and 2, you guys have been having great conversations, right? Even if you can understand everything that God says, if you have, if you have all faith so that you can move, you can actually do what Jesus said, mountain be moved, right? If you can move mountains with your faith, but have not love, you are nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, think of just whatever the greatest sacrifice you could ever make. Sometimes we put God into our debt because of, well, I've given, I sold my house and I gave everything. You can be sacrificial to the point of, uh, of all is lost from you. You can give your body to be burned. But if you have not love, you have gained nothing. And here God defines love for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Listen, you guys know me. Every week we're going to open this Bible Every week we're going to proclaim exactly what it says, regardless, we're equal opportunity offenders here, amen? All of us are going to be offended at some point in some chapter of this book, because this book exposes our sin and calls us to repentance, right? But as people are growing, have you ever been there where someone's just not getting it and you're frustrated with them and why can't you just understand and... Sometimes we need to just put an arm around somebody and pray because love, listen, how many of you, in your understanding of the gospel right now, how many of you were there the moment you prayed the prayer? No, you've grown, haven't you? 
You've grown as you studied God's word. You've grown as you've been part of this visible temple that is the body of Christ. Right? We have to be patient with others. We have to be kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Instead, oh, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes in all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails, which is why at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love because God is love and in eternity. We will be in his love. So here now, we are to be representatives and image bearers of that love. Yes, grow in knowledge. Yes, become mature. Yes, learn the right way to say things. But also be rooted and grounded in love. Love one another. John 4 says... It's good for us as a church, especially because we're so word-heavy and driven. It's important for us, and it's why God constantly reminds us that, yes, be right, but also love well. We write too many people off because they don't get it when we want them to get it. Amen? Be rooted and grounded in love I got all these big words and I can't find where I'm at. Here, verse 18. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, and to the, know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Listen, I got good news for all the dumb people. There is something greater than knowledge, and that is the love that Christ loves you with. If in Ephesians 1 and 2, you're scratching your head going, I just don't get it. Listen, good news, Christ still loves you. Be rooted and grounded in love for others as you experience in your life. There's no height, no depth. No breath, no length. There is no direction you can go and outpace or get away from the love that Christ has for you. No direction. If you get in a spaceship and go as high as you can possibly go, you will not outrun the inexhaustible love that Jesus Christ has for you. I know you've been in Romans chapter 11 for three years and you just can't figure it out. I'm with you. Scared to death next February when we start Romans. Eight and nine's easy. It's 11 that scares the crap out of me. I don't know what I'm even doing anymore. I'm just... Right, but even when we don't get it, even when we bang our heads against the table, you will never exhaust. Right? We see through a glass darkly here. We're not going to have all the... We're not going to be able to give all the answers. But there we will know in full. And Jesus Christ loves you. And if you believe in him, you're going to get there with me. Last thing of the four stair steps. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Here's the good news now. Listen, if you're in this room and you would say, Romans 11 is easy. <laughs> Come talk to me after. Help me. At the same time, though, you may be the most mature among us. You may have been serving God 50-plus years. You may read the Bible through 25 times a year. You've got answers for all things people come to you with. Listen, there's still room in you for more God. Right? We never get there. We're never perfect like he is perfect and only he is perfect. There's always room for more of him in us, which is why as the deer pants for water, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be filled. Hunger for him because there's more of him that you need in you. Now, after saying these things and praying this prayer, Paul ends the only way you really can end after saying these things with doxology, with worship of the glory, how good God is. And this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. In fact, when Sarah and I were dating, this kind of became, a, and I don't know what you think about life verses, you know, I don't swear by them, but the, this, I mean, it's good to have a verse that just kind of resonates with you, and you memorize it, and you make your kids memorize it, and you kind of build your life around. Well, this is ours. This has been our verse since we were dating, and through uh, over 18 years of marriage now, through ups and downs, hills and valleys, uh, through good times and bad times. Uh, about five years ago, when we built a new house in our subdivision, we gathered with all four of my kids, and, and as they had laid that framework and the concrete trucks were there, we took a Bible, an ESV Crossway Bible. <laughs> that stands for the Elect Standard Version, if you didn't know. <laughs> and we opened it up to Ephesians chapter 3, and we put that in the dirt. And we stood there and circled around and we prayed as a family. And then we watched the concrete trucks pour concrete all over that Bible. This uh, Bible's open to this verse in my foundation of my house. Now that doesn't earn me squat before God. Don't go crazy. But hear this verse. You need this verse. Because life is hard. And, and the night does get dark. And it does seem like the tears are never going to dry up sometimes. They just keep coming. But remember who God is. Remember who he's made you. And remember Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who may be able to help. To him who is able. The arm of the Lord has not been shortened. He can reach all the way down to where you are this morning. There is nothing outside the scope of his power, of his majesty. There's nothing that can exhaust the resources of his power. Our God who is able to do far more abundantly. Listen, you think you've made your petitions known to God? 
Right, because that's about you should. God loves you. He wants you to go to him. He wants you to, to tell him what you have need of. And he also wants you to realize that your requests are not too big for him. He can do exceedingly more, one version says, than anything you can ask or think. You can't even comprehend a task that is too big for God, our God, who is able. That'll preach. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. See Christ in you. Know the spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that every man and woman in this room would be strengthened with might through the power of your spirit, having more faith in Christ who is within them. Father, I pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Father, and that we would grow in our understanding uh, that in any direction we go, we will never outrun Christ's love for us. Fill us with the fullness of of God. Jesus, it is in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.